0: Canadians can expect things to get even more expensive as two major federal tax hikes will go into effect on April 1st.
1: Following a hotly contested nomination race in the Tory stronghold of Oxford in southwestern Ontario, Arpan Canna has won the nomination and will be the Conservative candidate in an upcoming by-election.
0: Trustees on the Waterloo Region District School Board were left virtually speechless last week by a series of parents concerned with the board's policies on gender ideology and the age-inappropriate books contained in school libraries. Hello Canada, it's Monday, March 27th, and this is the True North Daily I'm Rachel Emanuel, filling in for Anthony Fury.
1: And I'm Andrew Lawton.
0: We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. On April 1st, a scheduled hike on the carbon tax will bring the federal levy up to 14 cents per litre. Which means households should expect to pay 847 more dollars in taxes this year even after the rebates are distributed on top of that the carbon tax will lead to a spike in the price of gasoline and could impact the cost of transporting basic goods the other major tax hike is the alcohol escalator tax which will go up to 6.3 percent the largest alcohol tax increase in over 30 years despite having to pay some of the highest alcohol taxes in the world Taxes will take up an even larger portion for the price of a drink. Last week, MPs voted 170 to 149 in favor of scrapping the alcohol tax, while Canadians struggle with inflation and the rising cost of living. However, it's unclear if the federal government will cancel the impending tax hike. Andrew, I'm personally a little tired of stories like these. You read them and you kind of just give your head a shake. Canadians are struggling so much right now. Now we know that the federal carbon tax is going up even higher. Of course, that's going to impact the cost of transporting basic goods. So Canadians are going to be seeing this all across the consumer industry. And now to make matters even worse for those who are struggling, it costs even way more just to, you know, have a drink at the end of the evening and try to take the edge off a little bit. What do you make of this story?
1: Well, it's a syntax. It's a tax on vice. The government gets away with it because they know that the uh, strength of the argument uh, against it is basically people saying, Yeah, I want to have a drink without being gouged. And I think that, you know, when you talk about carbon tax, this is a really winnable one if you talk to Canadians about the true scope of what this does. As you mentioned in your uh, story there, the carbon tax is a tax on anything and everything, there's the explicit carbon tax. You pay when you pay your heating bill or fill up your car. And then there's the indirect carbon tax you pay when anyone else who needed to heat their facility or power their facility or uh, ship something to you has had to pay that tax. And that then is embedded in the price that you pay. So, with a cost of living crisis, an inflation crisis, these things are not insignificant.
0: We also know that MPs voted in favor of scrapping the alcohol tax, which is coming up on April 1st as well. Feels like it should be an April Fool's Day joke at this point. But of course, that's not binding. It doesn't force the federal government to actually cancel the rising of that tax.
1: No, it's a motion calling on the government to do it, but it's the government that has to be the one to make the decision to do it. That being said, I mean, this is a situation in which the Liberals, generally speaking, have a a pretty solid grip on the business of the House, given their supply and confidence agreement with the NDP. So when they lose a motion like this, it's actually something they should be paying attention to.
0: Sure, and I mean, it seems like there's been a lot of motions like this. There's been a lot of disagreement with federal government policies, but they are so bent on their environmental agenda that everything else seems to take second priority at this point, especially the cost of living crisis that we're seeing facing Canadians right now. I just don't sense that that's top of mind for the federal government. And if it is, they're constantly coming up with new spending initiatives that they think would help, when in reality, I think what Canadians are actually looking for is a break in taxes and a break in the cost of things up front.
1: Following the Conservative Party of Canada's disqualification of pro-life candidate Garrett Van Dorland for an upcoming by-election in Oxford County, all eyes were on that riding's nomination contest this weekend to see who Conservative members would pick as their candidate. Arpan Canna was elected to stand as the Conservative candidate in a by-election, which has not yet been called. Canna ran as a Conservative in Brampton North in 2019 when Andrew Scheer was the leader and served as Pierre Polyev's Ontario co-chair in last year's Conservative leadership race. Canna is a lawyer and a father and won against retired Conservative MP Dave McKenzie's daughter Deb Tate, as well as Toronto political strategist Rick Roth. Earlier this month, Van Dorland was disqualified. A Conservative spokesperson told True North it was over failure to disclose details in his application, but they did not specify what details Van Dorland allegedly excluded. According to a statement from the Pro-Life Political Action Group, right now, Van Dorland was targeted for his pro-life beliefs and also disadvantaged because he simply wasn't Polyev's preferred candidate. The Oxford by-election must be called by July 29th. Now, we know nominations and internal fights in political parties can be messy. Do you think, generally speaking, people just fall in line and back the candidate? Or do you think what happened with Van Dorland will leave a bit of bad blood here with Canada? As the candidate.
0: I think that it really depends on who the federal leader is at the time. I think in the case of Aaron O'Toole, there was a lot of conservatives across the country who felt very disillusioned with the conservative party and were kind of looking for a reason to leave. They didn't really like the direction that Erin O'Toole had taken it. They felt it wasn't conservative anymore. And so when they had a candidate they didn't like, it was only that easy to sort of look and say, hey, you know, the PPC is a really viable option right now. And I think we saw that in the voter results of the previous federal election. In this case, with Garrett Van and not receiving the nomination in Oxford and not even been being given a fair shot from the sounds of things, I think it will absolutely leave a bad taste in some voters' mouth in Oxford. Maybe some voters will look for another party. Maybe they won't show up to the polls. But by and large, I think that conservatives across the country are so fed up with the federal liberals, and I think that they're looking to vote them out of power, and I think they are going to show up with the next election if Pierre can keep the momentum going that he currently has. And he does appear to be a fair bit more conservative than Aaron O'Toole with some of the policies that he's announced. So I don't know if it will actually make that much of a difference, and we have to think about also the fact that the next federal election could be quite a ways away. We don't know when it's going to be. Sure, maybe Van Doren will still be stinging from the results of this maybe Van Doren will still be stinging from the results of this nomination race, but I don't know if voters as a whole across Oxford will still be thinking about it.
1: And I should point out that Garrett Van Doren opted not to endorse any other candidates. He issued a statement to his supporters last week saying that he doesn't know any of the candidates well enough to attest to their character, to their integrity, and to their values, and as such was unable to publicly put his name behind any of them. Now, again, it's tough to say whether he will run for the PPC whether he'll run as an independent, or whether he'll just take a, a step back from politics. He, he was really in that statement taking aim at what he says was, quote, a lack of integrity in politics. And this is a guy who has been involved in the party for quite some time, was on Leslie Lewis's leadership campaign, but when push came to shove, didn't have the right to run for that nomination.
0: It's one of the things that's really hard to watch when you know what goes on inside party politics I know that you've seen this happen before, Andrew, where people who have given their life to the conservative party only to be treated badly later on. And I myself have seen it as well. And it's one of those things, it's hard to watch. It's hard to see that corruption you wish people would be given a fair shake like everyone else. But the reality is, is the party has so much control over who the nominated candidate is going to be. And in some cases, you and I have talked about this before, it's almost like maybe they should just nominate the candidate and we should just do away with this whole election process to begin with.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mention that because, you know, the the old line is that you can either get the process you want or the outcome you want. So uh, if you want your preferred candidates in there, just abandon the pretense of having an open nomination.
0: Parents of students in the Waterloo District are standing up to the woke antics of trustees on the Waterloo Region District School Board. Last week, a series of parents concerned with the board's policies on gender ideology and age-inappropriate books contained in school libraries spoke out during a board meeting. One of the parents, David Todar, a Waterloo father of two young girls, expressed concerns with literature on the board's approved reading lists. To accentuate his concerns, Todar read from a highly controversial and sophisticated book called Identical, which covers themes of incest and rape. The book itself is recommended for kids at minimum 14 years and older. Todar also confronted the board and asked, quote, when will the board shift the focus from sexuality and political nonsense to teaching academics? As True North Sue Ann Levy reports, the meeting quickly erupted into chaos as trustees pushed back on the parents' concerns And double down on their curriculum. You can read about the full meeting at www.tnc.news. It's another day and we're hearing another story about kids in schools being eligible to read books that seem way above their age level. This is one of those other stories that I'm tired of hearing. It's sort of like the drag story hour protests are happening everywhere all over the place, even in sort of rural parts of the country that you wouldn't expect. Do you think that we're actually going to see the pendulum swing back on these types of issues or do you think it's going to get a lot worse and continue to, you know, progressively become more accepted before we see any action being taken on these types of things?
1: I think it depends. And and I'll say, first off, I'm glad parents are at least to some extent getting involved and wanting to learn what's going on in schools. Because I think the big thing that happens here is a lot of the times these decisions really fly under the radar because parents just trust that everything is uh, all hunky-dory at school and they don't feel the need to get involved. I don't know if most parents have ever taken a look at what's in their kids' library collections. Now, I should say, I'm a little bit uneasy with the idea of demanding books be pulled from libraries. I think that uh, there is always going to be a range there. It's not necessarily that a book needs to be appropriate to everyone for it to be available to some students it's a school board that has high schools there are some 17 year olds 18 year olds that uh, might want to get books or for academic or other purposes but I think when we start talking about curriculum and what's happening in classrooms that's where we really need to see parents step up
0: You make a really good point that some of the controversial topics that we're seeing across the news lately almost every day and stories are forcing parents to really pay attention to what's going on in schools and actually taking a look at the material their kids are being taught And I agree with you, the issues of incest and rape, you know, those are things that should be covered later on in school, maybe grade seven, eight, maybe high school, maybe that's a conversation that parents would prefer to have at home with their kids and then they could maybe know when those issues are being taught. If they want, pull them from school, teach it themselves, but kids should be aware of those issues. Also, you know, for a bit of self-protection and just to be aware of some of the issues that they're facing in life and moving forward and how to protect themselves and signs to look for when things are maybe inappropriate with a relationship that you have with somebody else. But I guess one benefit, one positive thing we can take from all this is exactly what you've mentioned, that parents are paying attention to what's going on in schools. In this case, I kind of got the sense that the school board was a little bit taken by surprise. They weren't expecting this meeting to turn the direction that it did turn into. So maybe, you know, initially people are usually defensive when someone approaches them with something they've done wrong. Maybe if the issue persists, the school board will go back and they'll take another look at it and say, okay, what can we do to make sure that kids that are only 14 aren't actually reading book about incest and rape and that those books are for high school students only and set some parameters and some protections in place.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, school libraries could easily have age restrictions on certain things. And, and also it's, really a case of empowerment and I I don't want to keep harping on the same idea of parents getting involved but I think long are the days when parents can just sit back and assume that everything is working the way it's supposed to be and when you see school boards like Waterloo and others in Ontario as well that push back against parents who try to get involved so much you have to ask the question of why why do they want to avoid any scrutiny why do they want to avoid any parental oversight
0: That's it for today and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.